Hi, it's Michael. And with all due respect to the wonderful authors who make time to speak with us, this is my favorite episode to record every year. That is because I get to showcase the discerning literary tastes, the equal love of high literature and excellent escapism chosen by employees at Kobo from all over the world. Our people are taking a bit of time to talk about the books that made an impression on them in the past year. And like last year, we haven't seen a lot of each other recently. So this you know, is a chance for me to make up for a lot of missed water cooler and office kitchen time. We are so glad to have you joining us. And we hope you discover something great to read among the best books Kobo employees have read in 2021. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do at Kobo. Hi, my name is Tara and I'm the director of Kobo Writing Life for English Language. And what is your book that you think everyone should be reading I picked Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Um, it's just a really beautiful book. Okay, tell us all about it. Why should we read this? Uh, so it's a memoir, um, kind like it is all about grief. So it is going to be a bit of a tearjerker, but the writing is just so beautiful. Um, so it's a memoir about um, by Michelle Zahner, who is also uh, an indie musician that plays under the moniker Japanese Breakfast. Um, so it's all about her relationship with her mother. Um, um, as her mother goes through an illness um, and eventually um, passes away. Um, but it's also about her being um, kind of uh, mixed race in America, that her mother is Korean, her father's American. So as her mother passes away, her, her closeness to her Korean identity um, kind of diminishes, um, which in her earlier life, she sort of pulled away from, but then she really sort of um, wanted to come towards as, as she was growing up. Um, but what makes this book really special is just the way that she talks about food. Like food is just used as a memory. It's so visceral. It's all about um, like the relationship with her mother. Like, so from the name crying in H Mart is just a, an Asian supermarket where she can't go through it without all of these memories just overwhelmingly coming to her um, and her just trying to, to learn as many of the Korean dishes and foods and things before her mother does pass away. So it's just like really beautiful writing and, and almost using, um, you know, like making making kimchi and doing things from scratch almost as like a meditation when she was really dealing with grief. Um, but yeah, just a really interesting, interesting way of doing a memoir, I thought. And how did you come to this book? Did this come to you through a love of food books, a love of grief books, or a, a, <laughs> a, a, you know, or a love of memoir? Uh, I'm a fan of her music, so it was through that. Um, but also, I, I really like memoirs, so I, I like reading a lot of nonfiction. And, and um, also, because I lived in Korea for a while, so like the, the connection to the Korean food, um, I was just really into that. Like, you know, any descriptions of like a bubbling soup that was covered in kimchi, I was just all about. Is this her first book, like first thing she's ever written? She she wrote an article for The New Yorker and it went viral. And then she wrote this book from, from that. Um, so it's her first ever uh book. Yeah, I was going to say novel, but first ever book. And so give us the name and the author one more time. Uh, Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. Thank you so much. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. My name is Deandra Lalonde. I am the content sales lead for North America for the ebook side, uh, which basically means I am a bookseller. And 
as a bookseller with a broad mm -hmm. and uh, wide ranging mm -hmm. sort of scope on uh, on what to read, what is the book that you've uh, that you've picked for us this year? Like you said, I have a very long list of books to read. So this year, it was easy to pick it by the only book I read twice this year. It was so good, I had to pick it up a second time, which is Casey Wilson's The Wreckage of My Presence, which I have read in both E and audio format now. <laughs> <laughs> and does that, is that the two reads is once, once in text, once in audio? Exactly, yes. <laughs> okay, so good enough to, to consume twice. Uh, yep. Tell us about the book. So Casey Wilson, for anyone who doesn't know her, uh, got her start on Saturday, Saturday Night Live. She's an actor and a comedian. Uh, she's also mostly known for her role as Penny Hearts on Happy Endings. So if you watch that show, you'll know her. Um, and she's been in a bunch of other things since then. Uh, she also hosts a podcast about the Real Housewives, which I love. So I listen to that every week. So I knew about her book way before it came out and I couldn't wait to read it. I thought it was going to be just, you know, some funny essays, but it was really about uh, the way she dealt with the grief around losing her mom at a young age, suddenly in her early twenties. Um, but she does it in such a way that it's so lighthearted, but serious at the same time. So you go within truly one sentence from crying laughing to crying sobbing uh, and then back again she goes full circle on it it's really really incredible and I've it, just her writing style as well was so so good it was far better than I could have ever expected it to be I knew it would be funny but um, it was really really something and every single person I've recommended it to has loved it I haven't had one person come back and be like it wasn't for me. Every person's like, what's your favorite essay? This one's fine. <laughs> I related to her most at this point in the book because she's extremely relatable. Her The book opens with an essay on being a bed or a bath person and always being in a bed or a bath. <laughs> That's her preference. Uh, and I think we can all agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. And, is, uh, and so these are a series of essays. Is it each one focused on a particular mm -hmm. topic or a particular aspect of your experience? How, kinda, how does it link together? Yeah, they all have their own it's all kind of different stories from different parts of her life. Um, they all seem to tie together through her mom and how she's dealt with this grief and kind of ties it back either to memories of her mom or how uh, like she has a house a chapter on the housewives because it's such an integral part of her life, but it ties into how she came to be in, interested in them and how she came to watch them was through those early days of grief when she was, basically just stuck to her bedroom floor in the closet, couldn't get up, was just distraught. And she turned on the TV and these women were screaming at each other. And it was like a blanket being placed over her. And that's how she came to be into the housewives, you know, 20 years ago now. Um, and I think for someone who also watches it, we all have those similar experiences where it's like, oh yes, that was the moment and people make fun of people who watch the housewives. But there is this thing that like, it's a comfort to people who watch it. And so that's one example, but there's, uh, yeah, it's all just different stories from her life that all tie together to motherhood and grief. Um, but it's not as serious as that makes it sound. So who is the, as a, as a professional bookseller, you're in the business of pairing people and books who who's the person that you would hand this to who would you recommend it to 
I mean, honestly, I feel like anyone would enjoy it who reads it, but definitely the audience would be more towards, I think, women, um, anyone who has a strong bond either as a mother or who has had a good bond with her mother. Um, anyone who likes reality TV will like it. Anyone who's watched Happy Endings and likes Casey Wilson will like it. Um, the audiobook is really great because you get to hear it in her voice and it's it's really special, I think. she There's certain things that I definitely lacked in the text version when I heard it in audio. It's like, oh, okay, that's how that sounds. Um, so I think like young women, because um, a lot of it is her going through her 20s and her 30s without her mom, but also just growing up and what it's like to be a young woman uh, trying to succeed. And when your goals don't necessarily go the way you expect them to. And you, I mean, you raise an interesting point there where as having both read it in ebook and then mm -hmm. listened to it in audiobook, did your experience of it change from one to the next? I think it did. I, I read the ebook um, a couple months before it came out because the publisher gave me an early copy. So uh, I feel like I was kind of alone in reading it. <laughs> and then when I read and when I listened to the audiobook, it had come out. And so I had, you know, my closest friend who's also a big fan of hers reading it. So we were like going back and forth talking about it. So it changed um, the experience both in what I was listening to and how I was interacting with it with people around me and being able to recommend it and be like, oh, what about this line? Oh my gosh, I was laughing so hard at this and stuff. So uh, it was a more social experience the second time. Whereas the first time I was just like, I want everyone to read it. <laughs> I can't yet. So I need to come out now. Um, and then also, like I said, hearing her voice just, it was, it's really, I, I always like listening to authors read their books. I think it really adds another layer onto it that you miss from the text version. Fantastic recommendation. Give us the title and the author one more time. It is The Wreckage of My Presence by Casey Wilson. Amazing. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. Um, my name is Al McNevin. I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Kobo, and I'm very rarely invited to talk about books. <laughs> or very rarely uh, accept the invitation to talk about books. Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us which book you think that uh, that people should be reading this year. Well, I think people should be listening to the Bomber Mafia. I think uh, I might be wrong, but it's one of the first sort of major commercial books that was written for audio first or produced for audio first. And I think that as a huge fan of audiobooks, the experience of listening to one that was purpose built for it is pretty special. And so what was it about it in terms of how it was put together that made it not seem like, like a regular audiobook? I think the best part of it for nonfiction stuff is when he was interviewing where he would have otherwise interviewed and had quotes from people who were a part of the experience he was writing about. You could hear those voices and, and the raw sort of interview exchanges that otherwise maybe get summarized or, or even misquoted you could hear the old guys who who flew these missions in world war ii talk about their experiences and you hear the voice change from from malcolm gladwell to some 90 year old guy who just likes telling stories about what he was a part of and it's pretty entertaining and so for people who um who haven't heard about this book bomber mafia is uh, malcolm gladwell's account of the the group of pilots aviators and generals who created the bombing strategy for the Second World War, uh, took it from Europe to, 
to Japan. I mean, you're somebody who has who's like read in this space, who's you know kind of interested in this part of history. Was there was there material in there that you hadn't seen before, you hadn't heard before? Yeah, I think I think the a bunch of the book was just about how these folks were so influential in changing sort of strategy for at a sort of working level and how they influenced it upwards and 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 how I mean they were using what at the time new technology, meaning the extended range of being able to fly further and from new bases and so on was kind of the the narrative you never get to hear about the second world war basically any world war is what were the people involved on the front lines feeling about it and how did they manage to orchestrate real change and approaches that were taken and and it's fun to hear these like these old guys kind of talk about that through the lens of they didn't really know if what they were doing was right either they just really liked flying so uh, that was fun too so and as Someone who is a pilot yourself was there a was there a piece of that that kind of hooked you into because you're 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 listening to pilots talking about flying? Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, I I can't I, I love it and I love hearing people talk about it and learning from it. I also uh, I was working with Nathan on kind of fact checking a bit of it. We definitely ran into some pieces that are kind of fun as someone who has some limited experience in being a pilot, noticing how uh, there were definitely parts of the book that were not consistent with what some of these pilots would have wanted to convey in terms of reasons why something was a good idea or not. Um, and, and I think we took it to the publisher to, to kind of fact check it and they said they were on it. So, <laughs> so that was my big opportunity to correct Malcolm Gladwell once in my life. And so who would you recommend this book to? Well, I think, I mean, he, he sure tells a good story. And I think so there's, there's no loss of entertainment value, regardless of he writes about business or the second world war or, or anything. He, he can, he can spin a really nice story together. For me, it comes back to though, like if you want to explore, if you have an interest in nonfiction and certainly world history of war or anything like that, uh, Listening to it through this lens where it's, I would recommend the audio experience more than, than the print experience, because it is a really interesting extension of the format. And I think we're going to see more of it. I think, I hope as a, for our business, it, it, it's a, it's a great experience, but also for just people who want to be taken away to another place to have the the depth of the interview in your ears uh, to help tell the story to put the format first is is a bold step, I think, and and I certainly think there's lots of application for it being uh, where authors start telling their stories uh, down the road. So anyone who wants to try out audio, this is a great place to start. And give us the uh, the name of the book again and the author. Uh, it's the Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell. Thanks a lot. All right, take care. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Scott, and I'm the team lead for business operations. And tell us the book that you think that everyone should be reading this holiday season. Uh, the, my pick is Cultish by Amanda Montel. It's a book about, um, so Amanda Montel, she's like a linguist and she, her first book was called Word Slut. And it's about like the language of like how like sexist, like the English language specifically can be. So in her second book, she talks about uh, the language specifically of like cults and how people can be brought into like in and not and not even just like the scary like doomsday cults that you're thinking of and stuff like 
soul cycle and like different like workout regimes and like different sort of like groups that can bring people in and make them feel like very connected to it. And the thing that I really liked about it, I read a lot of like books about like different cult like groups and activity. And this book was very like, like generous and how like it was more like you know what like it can really happen to anyone because of like the language that people use and like how like I think it gave a lot of like it was like a much more like a gentle way of looking at how people can get like caught up in um these sorts of like groups it talked a lot about like marketing level multi-level marketing schemes which is like another interest of mine so it just kind of like hit all of the hit like all of the like parts and um, the covers also suit like I only picked it up really because I saw the cover and then I saw what it was about and I was like oh this is like exactly the kind of book I want to read. This sounds super timely because we are like we're seeing people getting pulled into different systems of beliefs we're seeing families kind of getting pulled apart because somebody has you know, done a deep dive into conspiracy theories or QAnon or anti-vaxxing or and and so does this help to kind of unpack some of the kind of the linguistic techniques that sit around those things. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a really interesting, like pulling in like the linguistic techniques, only very much like the us versus them mentality and like how people can be like brought into these different sorts of groups. And also like the kind of like social things that can happen to somebody, like when they're brought into these sorts of like groups. Um, The reason why I like picked it up and really liked it was I do like a lot of workout classes and I always noticed that there was like certain spin instructors that had this kind of like weird obsessive following. And I was like, there's, there's something here. And I want someone who's like smarter than me to look into this. And then I saw this book and I was like, this is like exactly what I was like looking for. Okay. So just like as a, as a tiny preview of this, what, what can a spin instructor do that creates a cult like following around them? Well, it's like the very like being put on like a pedestal, having people like because a lot of the time, like in the fitness like community, people will not necessarily just go to like a 430 class because it works like people that are really into it will go to like their favorite instructor because they kind of create this like aura around them of like knowing, like being like an all-knowing like person. And not to say that like every single spin instructor is like this, and not to say like every single person that attends a class <laughs> sure. is like that. Yeah. But like they will have, you know a lot of the time I don't know if you've ever done like a soul cycle class but there is a big like emotional like connection you know you have your part of the class where it's like more quiet and it's more like deep reflection and talking about like personal growth and like all those things so then when people have these like really emotional connections to somebody who kind of brought them to think like this that kind of like helps them stay like connected to that person and so who would you recommend this book to who would you whose hands would you put it in Um, anybody who watched like the Luba Rich documentary on Amazon Prime so this is like exactly that kind of like I watched I read this book and then Luba Rich came out so I like watched like right away um anyone who's like more interested in like linguistics and anybody who's ever been like called a boss babe by like one of their like weird Facebook like acquaintances who like wanted somebody wanted them to like join their MLM scheme I've never been asked personally and I am always like a little sad about it but I don't want to join it but I just don't you think I would make a great multi-level marketer come yeah, on don't, you, don't, don't I have the boss babe mentality <laughs> like I don't but <laughs> Maybe they've sensed that. It's just, you know, you're a bad cult recruit. I, I really, I really am because I'm like incredibly lazy and like hate texting people. So <laughs> And, and well-versed in linguistics. So all of like yeah. good immune system, bad output altogether. Any, anyone who's a little too charismatic, I'm like immediately suspicious of. So. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this is like a defensive 
um, primer into you know the terrible things that linguistics can do to people, um, especially pulling them into um, you know, kind of cult-like behavior, dark pockets of belief, and uh, and all of the other things that we find ourselves having to uh, to face as kind of reality pushes against unreality in uh, in 2021. That sounds like a that's a that's a good gift for anybody right now. Yeah, it's definitely and also the cover is just really like to look at the book, you're like, oh, this cover looks cool. Like whoever did this did a very good job. Give us again the title and the author. Uh, the book is called Cultish by Amanda Martel. Thank you. Thank you. My name is Mark Steen. I'm the VP of sales and marketing. And what is the book that you think everyone should be reading this holiday season? Well, it's an audio book. And I think that everyone should listen to Miracle and Wonder. It is by Malcolm Gladwell. And it tells the story about Paul Simon from the early days into what he's currently working on. It's fabulous. And so is this a, is this a, a project that was put together with Malcolm Gladwell and Paul Simon together? Is that the idea? Yes, they had um, many, many interviews from Hawaii to Connecticut and uh, New York. And it seems like they put a ton of work into exploring his career and what inspires him. And um, I found it amazing, uh, you know, and not like an audiobook, really. It was, it was almost like uh, a documentary uh, that was, you know, so musical and uh, so much, clearly so much research has been put into it. When we spoke with Malcolm Gladwell um, uh, a little while ago on this podcast, one of the things that he had said was he wanted to try and make um, audiobooks that couldn't exist in any form other than as an audiobook. Uh, and to get away from this idea of just turning like a paper book into an audiobook. So was this was this kind of a manifestation of that? This couldn't really have been delivered any other way. A hundred percent. I think that he had this in mind as he as he told you that. Uh, and and also, you know, he's got his podcast, you know, with Rick Rubin, mm-hmm. the Broken Record podcast, which I'm a fan of. But this goes deeper. You know, that, that uh, I, I, the podcast is fantastic, you know, an hour, two hours, but this was like six hours. So it was a real deep dive. And are you doing the, like Paul Simon's life through music? Are you going into individual songs or individual albums? Kind of what are some of the things that you'd experience through this? Yeah. I mean, he starts out, you know, from, you know, his, his musical roots and, and some of his early uh, you know, his partnership with, with uh, Garfunkel. And, you know, as I was getting into it, sometimes I'd, I'd kind of pause and, and listen to the song itself on, on Spotify and then come back because they didn't really play the full song. And, um, you know, and, and I got um, exposed to some of his more recent albums, which were, you know, awesome, That but I hadn't, uh, hadn't listened to them yet. So, you know, I, I jumped around a little bit, but thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think I've already gotten uh, a couple of people to download it just because uh, I, I know some other fans. Is this a, a book that you would recommend to anyone who was like a general music fan or a Paul Simon fan? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there's a lot of people who love Malcolm Gladwell and his work. Um, so that's for anybody there for sure. 
Um, but, you know, people who love music or Paul Simon, it's, it's a must listen to. Did you listen to it like straight through or was it the kind of thing that you could kind of hop in and out of uh, or like sort of jump from episode to episode? Yeah, no, I, it's, it was like six hours and I listened to it over less than a week. Um, okay. And yeah, they had episodes and, you know, and, you know, obviously the Graceland episode was probably the signature episode of, of the whole thing. Uh-huh. Uh, but, uh, you know, it was, yeah. it was awesome. Has this changed what you think about uh, what an audiobook can do? Yeah, I mean, th- this this had more things going on, more voices, more. I'm not, I'm not sure how to how to put it, but it's, this is not like an audiobook. This this, this was something altogether different. Yeah. So Gladwell has he's he's achieved the aim that he went out <laughs> with and saying we're going to make something new and unique that's audio only. Mission accomplished. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so give us again the author and the name of the book. Miracle and Wonder by Malcolm Gladwell. Thanks so much, Mark. Hi, I'm Courtney Todrash. I am the manager of content management for audiobooks. And what is the book that you want to make sure everybody reads from this year? I chose um, Rachel Cusk's uh, Second Place. Why should we be reading this? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so a female protagonist is innerly stirred by an artist painting in a gallery. And this urge with, uh, for liberation stays with her long after the viewing, and she begins to correspond with the artist, uh, which leads her to invite him to a sort of residency at a guest cottage on her family's property. At this point, the book turns into a sort of strange psychodrama as the artist's extreme privilege and frankly destructive actions throw the hostess' calm retreat into total chaos. And so when you, you know, when you read this, is this the kind of thing where it's like slow creeping apprehension over time? Um, do you immediately know what's coming and you can just see like that disaster from a mile away? How did it, you know, how did it reveal itself to you? I think you see her investment into this individual that she doesn't know, and you assume it's going to go wrong in some way, but don't really know how that's going to pan out. But, you know, this older artist, he he brings a young sort of rich lover there uninvited, and it sort of continuously uh, goes on and on into this, you know, um, unwanted sort of visitor uh, situation. Yeah. And where does this fit into the other things that you've been reading this year? Interestingly enough, I do think it faces the notion of lockdown and and actually touches upon COVID without being a totally exhausting exploration of that, because I think, frankly, we we probably don't want to read about that a lot. So it's kind of a beautiful testament to the time we've been living through. Um, but it fits totally into what I read all the time. And I I think I've said this on a staff picks episode before, and it's like female writers, female protagonists, domestic sort of drama, and, uh, you know, under the surface of a maybe sort of mundane or or simple life is all the complexities that come with being a woman and, and uh, living in this world. Yeah. And so are there other, are there other authors or other books 
that form like a good connection to this one if you were trying to figure out who to provide this to or who to give it to? This is a bit of a cop-out, but Rachel Cusk's uh, Outline Trilogy, um, just because yeah. I think more people should be reading her. She's a Canadian. I think my hope in 2022 is like Maggie is out and Rachel is in, which might be the hottest take of this uh, Staff Picks episode. Maybe. Yes. I like it. That's a that's a bold take. It's time. Time for new blood. Okay. Give us uh, one more time the name of the book and the name of the author. Second Place by Rachel Cusk. I hope everyone enjoys it. Thank you. I am Rachel Wharton, and I am the author engagement coordinator for Coba Writing Life. What does an author engagement coordinator do? Um, I offer a lot of support to Kobo Writing Life authors uh, via email. I help run promotions. I co-host the KWL podcast, just to plug my own podcast on this podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I do a little bit of everything just to kind of help our authors succeed on Kobo. Amazing. And what is the book that you think we should all be reading this holiday season? So it's a little bit heavy for the holiday season, but it is a book I think everyone should read. And it is a book by a KWL author. It's called Year of the Nurse by Cassandra Alexander. And tell us all about it. So Cassandra is an ICU nurse in the Bay Area. And she is in this book recounting her experience of working in the ICU throughout the pandemic. And she is also a paranormal romance author. So the way that she's put this book together is really unique. I haven't really read anything like it. She's using um, her tweets throughout the past year and a half. Uh, she's using her author newsletter. She's using blog posts she wrote to her friends. And then she's also looking back on all of this information from real time. And she's also included little news snippets. So it's it's kind of like reliving the pandemic through her eyes, which is really heavy. But as somebody who has friends and family in healthcare, it was also really eye-opening because this isn't the stuff that your like uncle is going to tell you over Christmas dinner. So it was a really hard read, but it was incredible. And how, I mean, how was that process for you as the reader getting pulled back to the beginning months of the of the pandemic? Because I've I've noticed that you know as we kind of get more used to things, every once in a while something will pull you back and you remember how that felt. And it was very different than how we feel now. Some of it was kind of like, I don't want to say funny because I feel like that's the wrong word, but almost like, oh, we were so naive just because I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, it was all right, see you guys in two weeks. And that was what, like 20 months ago. So um, there was a lot of that. There were a couple of moments where I was like, oh, I forgot that happened because time just doesn't exist anymore. Um, for example, there was the whole like drinking bleach fiasco. I had completely forgotten about that. So reliving, thing, reliving things like that was bizarre. And then some of it was just heartbreaking. And I, it was like, it was hard to read. I had to take a lot of breaks, um, kind of close the book, step away and then come back to it. And this is, this is a bit uncommon for a KWL author to do something that's more nonfiction focused, to do something that is kind of more memoir based, uh, which is kind of fantastic. Have you seen more of these kinds of books showing up in your in your work as a as a KWL coordinator? 
Um, I actually haven't. Uh, we don't see a lot of memoirs in KWL. Um, there are definitely some, but we don't see any of this like nature really. And I think right. what's really interesting about seeing this book on KWL is it kind of shows the immediacy of indie publishing because this book is so timely. And we know that traditional publishing can take like two to three years for a book to go from manuscripts to publication. But this story and the information in this book is so timely and so like essential that I think going indie publishing and getting this out and into as many hands as possible was so important. And it also allows a lot of just based on reading the reviews of this book has allowed a lot of healthcare workers to feel seen in what they've gone through because this book is heavy. Like the author talks very openly about PTSD, about the mental health toll that the past year and a half, two years now have taken on her. So um, yeah, we don't see a lot of memoirs on KWL, but I do think that when you're writing something that is so immediate, it indie mm -hmm. publishing is the way to go because people will see it right away. And it's been, I think it's so difficult for people to get a sense of, um, of both the hardship that healthcare workers went through, but to get it in, you know, in anything other than the tiny snippets that we get from, you know, media and television to have somebody actually kind of lay out their whole emotional experience, professional experience, and have it in book form, as you say, is something that you could have only done in, you know, in this particular kind of medium. It's fantastic. Who would you give this book to? Who would you say, whose hands would you put this book into? I mean, I think everybody should read it. Um, mm -hmm. Anybody who is living in 2021 should be reading this book, but um, I would give it to friends who work in healthcare, um, just if they're ready, if they are emotionally ready to relive some of the experience of the past year, because it does really make healthcare workers feel seen and it really validates their experience. I would give it to people who think the pandemic is over. And yeah, those are, those are the two big groups. But I honestly think that like anybody can pick something up from this book. Like I, it changed my mind on some things. Like I was very much in the, you know, if, you know, if you're unvaccinated, just whatever, go, you've made your choice, but you forget that there's healthcare workers that have to take care of the unvaccinated people who then get more sick, who end up in the ICU. So it really, it made me a lot more empathetic towards healthcare workers. And I know a lot of healthcare workers. So this is both a, a firsthand experience of the pandemic. It's a healthcare book. It's also like, you know, an interesting structure and form kind of put together in a way that you don't normally see. And it's right from the author to the reader through Kobo writing life. So we have yes. all of these great things put together. I give us, uh, give us the name of the book again and give us the author. It is year of the nurse by Cassandra Alexander. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. My name is Karan Sood. I lead the I lead the sales operation team from a hardware point of view. So we we, man, we manage pricing, promotions, sales strategy, channel strategy, and helping Mark uh, get to the device goals that uh, we set out every year. Um, so that's I work at a Toronto office. And tell us the book that you think people should be reading this year? Uh, yeah, so the book that uh, I think people should be reading is uh, All We Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. Um, the author is Sally, he died in 2018. But, and the book, it was launched in 20, it was, uh, came out in 2018. So it's, you know, it's a couple of years, mm -hmm. um, years ago. However, it's a book that's 
probably out there as one of the top true crime stories out there because it, it follows the case of the Golden State Killer. And so, what was it about this book that really grabbed you? So I've always been a big fan of like true crime, true crime, yeah. generally white collar crime. So you got like Elizabeth, uh, you know, Thanos with Thanos, like, so for example, Bad Blood. And then, you know, like uh, blow out for the, the yeah. and then million dollar, billion dollar whales with this could be the Korean scandal and so emulation scandal. So, and there were books that intersected white crime and murder. So, you know, Black Mass, you know, that was made into a movie, um, you know, Whitey Bulger who was the most notorious um, mob boss out of Chicago. So, but then there, but the problem with those books is that they're good, but they don't have a lot of police work in there. Didn't, mm-hmm. didn't, it doesn't show, it shows a lot of technology and, you know, how, you know, like people make slip ups and, you know, like in their paperwork, but not true crime, good old police work and how. So this, this book, um, which Michelle McNamara wrote, she, the crimes happen to put in perspective, the crimes happened in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He, the, the guy, gone to James, um, James, the mass, mass murder was caught in 2018. So think about this from a scale perspective, this is 40 years out. So all her, she's doing this research back in time. So talking to like the people, their parents or their, the, you know, the police for the police, uh, the police force that was working in that region at that time. So it's, it's a very, it's a very detailed, um, you know, insight into how investigative journalism and how police works, mm-hmm. work. how once a killer so put into perspective, Golden State Killer were responsible for 13 murders, 50 rapes, and 150 burglaries over a span of 10 years in the 70s. The, the, the term was coined by her, Michelle McNamara. Um, and, you know, it just goes on to show once a killer gets in, uh, in an investigator's head, he never leaves. Uh, and there are, case, there, there are points being made in the book around how, you know, these mass murderers, once, you know, once... They get into their head and then either either destroys the life of the police, the policeman itself, or you know, because they're they're just there. They're they live mm-hmm. rent free in their head about they haven't caught him for 40 years, you know, they're they're chasing leads for 40 years. But so it just shows on how how good some of that investigative uh, work is. And this this was an interesting case, both because of like it was a cold, cold case, like decades cold. But then the application of new science yes. into an investigation. Yes, yes. So, so the DNA technology was invented, like I think, in the, in the '90s, which was then used to eventually catch the killer. But at that time, the technology didn't even exist. So, it, 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 which is also a reason that which I said is why he slowed down, why he went into hiding at some point because he realized any further things out there now will basically eventually lead to some sort of a DNA database um, checks and he'll get caught. So that was one reason they said they didn't catch him for so long because he just went in hiding. So yeah, so technology played a huge role in not only this, I think it's, and this is one of the, you know, most key, you know, there's a whole online community of true crime, you know, detectives out there now. And this was one of the first, probably one of the most key ones that was out there for so long, right? Um, you know, Michelle McMara sort of created sort of that community as well. So um, it's, it's, it's a good book. It's very detailed. So you have to really, and I read that, and I did the audiobook, which is very well read and it's very well narrated. It's, it's, it's you know, it, the bits and pieces are very 
tied in together very nicely. Uh, it's a long book, but it's, it's a definite must read. Um, and so if you are a person who uh, you know, is listening to lots of true crime podcasts, if you're the kind of person who's maybe oh, watching true crime shows on TV, this is something for you. This is, this is, this is something for you. If you're watching a lot of like crime dramas, true crime stories, this is a book for you because it'll take you across state borders, take you from perspective of a, from a, from of a, you know, victim to the police officer, to the journalist and how small slip ups in work leads to years of work, you know, being undone. So it's fascinating story. That sounds great. Okay. One more time, give us the name of the book and the name of the author. Yeah. So I'll be going in the dark. It's also been adapted. It's also an HBO. There's an HBO adaption of a mini series. And the author's name is Michelle McNamara. McNamara. Um, she was, she's also famous because she's also, she was, no, not that she's no more, but she was the wife of Patton Oswalt, the, the queen, the comedian from King and Queens. And, you know, he's a big narrator as well. So, um, and he helped complete the book after she was, after she was no more. So, um, he, with the investigative journalists and everyone out there, completed the book. And the guy was caught two months after she had already died. So, you know, they don't wow. explicitly say that yeah. she was the reason, but the big the police and the big community out there believes that the reason the guy got caught was because there was so much pressure that she had put on this case and just the community out there. And, you know, and coining the term Golden State Killer was her thing. So I think it's, it's for a true crime. Uh, um, person who enjoys it, I think this is the book. So, all right, I'll be gone in the dark by Michelle McNamara. Thank you so much. Thank you. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. My name is Tracy Nestle, and I lead communications for Kobo, meaning you know PR and other things. And, and other things, social and podcasts, <laughs> and all of the other things that are yes. communication. Okay, there we are. Uh, there we are. Now yeah. that we've <laughs> now now that we've baselined your your role, um, <laughs> tell us about the book you think everyone should be reading this year. So, first of all, let me say this has been a fantastic year for books. So, I would I was it was an embarrassment of riches in terms of choosing one. But I landed on The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. And why should we read this book? Well, let me tell you, I don't know if you know this, but there's been this pandemic. And I don't know about you. I think I've heard something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What it caused for me was a lot of staying at home and being in one place. And that led to a lot of reflection. Like, what am I doing with my life? Am I doing the right thing with my life? What is my life? Lives in the end end in the one room. And I was sitting in it. So I was in a, in a place of, of great reflection. And this is a book about what would happen if you had a do-over? So the book is about a woman named Nora Seed, and she has lost everything. She's lost her job, her friends, like people have died. She's, she's got nothing, and she can't imagine a day that's better with her in it. So she decides, that's it. I'm going to take all of these quote-unquote antidepressants I have, and I'm going to, I'm going to finish it now. Except she doesn't die. 
she wakes up in the Midnight Library and discovers that it is filled with millions and millions and millions of books, each of which were a path she didn't take. So the gist of it is in life, you, may, you, have, you make millions and trillions of decisions. Now think about that and see if you can get up in the morning. But anyway, leaving that aside, millions of decisions, each of which would take you down a completely different, many different things would happen to you. Mm-hmm. If you turned left, not right, you would have met this person, not that person. And that would have meant this. And that would have meant that blah, blah, blah. So she gets to face all of her regrets and deal with them and see if that life really did turn out better than this crap life she's trying to get herself out of. And we go through each of the options until we get to the actual option of how she should lead her life and how meaningful her life actually was when she, when she realizes it. So in short, (laughs) for me, this was a book that really summed up this moment in my life where, you know, maybe it's not that bad. Maybe there's lots of other adventures out there. Just get out there. And all it requires is you actually getting out of the room. (laughs) You have to leave the room. (laughs) And getting to leave the room. And if I leave the room, think of all of the magical things that might happen to me. So it ends on, I mean, it's a little, it seems a little dark, you know, starting with Nora Seed wants to die, Mm -hmm. but in the end, it's very uplifting. And the ultimate life she chooses isn't the three or four different lives of glamour that she had opted out of. It was a life where she made a profound difference to a young person by just being there at the right time and leading him down a different path than the one he was on. And so when you look at this book in the context of all of the other books that you read this year, yeah. was this was this like a standout or did you find that like as you said you were just hitting great books all the way through this year? Well, I was hitting great books all the way through and lots of them, maybe it's just the way I'm choosing books these days or about that journey mm-hmm. of I'm gonna change my life, I'm gonna take a different path. Eh, maybe there is a theme developing here. But this one was very literal in that approach. Mm-hmm. And I found it instructive. Like I found myself actually thinking about lives I'd, I'd chosen to step out of and thinking, if I were still living in that life, would I be happier there than here? Actually, no. And so a work of a work of fiction, but one that really does put important questions in front of you, the reader. As all great fiction does. Give us one more time the title of the book and the author. The title is The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Highly recommended by me, Tracy Nestle. My name is Lee Cole. I'm a senior director of sales and marketing at Kobo. I've been at the company for more than 11 years and clearly love it. And um, I've become an even more avid reader being a Kobo employee. So spending lots of my time reading. And what's the book that you want people to read this year? Uh, the book I want people to read is, oh my God, the name's already escaping me. It's by... Uh, <laughs> It's, it's by Judy Battalion. It's called The Light of Days. 
um, the untold story of women resistance fighters in Hitler's ghettos. Okay. This sounds like a, a fascinating book. Uh, tell us all about it. Um, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for World War II books to begin with, both fiction and nonfiction. Um, this book specifically is about a group of, I believe, nine uh, female Jewish resistance fighters centered around Poland in the ghettos that were ordinary girls ranging in age from like 15 to the early 20s that were put in extraordinary positions. Um, they, the one thing that all these girls had in common was that they didn't look Jewish. And between that and their gender, they were able to better evade suspicion from Nazis and other locals. And because of their appearances, they had the choice or at least a greater chance of fleeing the ghettos and escaping the Nazis. But all these girls chose to stay and conduct organized operations to harm the Nazis at great risk to themselves. So the book basically profiles each of these nine girls separately. And one of the remarkable things about, about this story is, you know, these are in some ways, you know, people like you and me or people we know, they're just, you know, kind of regular people leading regular lives, but then get thrown into these terrible and extraordinary circumstances and then do extraordinary things. I think it's unbelievable. I always, if I'm experiencing any mild adversity in life, you know, I always think back, well, what's my issue? Look at the people and what they were living through, you know, 75 years ago or in other experiences, these people, these people really had daily, you know, life or death circumstances. And they, they've, they were forced to do, you know, some some things that they that they were made to do but in other cases they had the choice and they chose to commit all these amazing acts of bravery and i just think it's hugely inspirational if you were looking at other books that are kind of like this or other books that would lead you to this are there some other things that you think kind of uh, that link to this book as well i think well What's interesting about this book specifically is that it gives the, the female perspective of resistance fighters. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't think you usually get that perspective. It's usually historically told from a male perspective. Um, and so that's the first thing that interested me to this book. There's another book called Sons and Soldiers, which is um, a similar type of template where they focused on a small group of German Jews that had escaped Germany before the war and were sent back in to fight under the guise of being, of course, German, and they were better able to spy on Nazis. But that template was, was really interesting. These personalized stories in each person's own path, um, super interesting. So it sounds like if you are a person who is either you know, interested in books about the Second World War, or about um, experiences in the Holocaust, or women figures coming to light out of history. So I'm thinking kind of like you know, the book Hidden Figures by Margot Lee Shetterly about mathematicians in the, you know, in the space program, like all of these kind of bring up you know, women who either got passed over in history or are just now being uncovered from uh, from a historical perspective, and we're hearing their stories for the first time. A hundred percent. And these unique perspectives, I think, are especially important to to 
to read about because they're so rarely exposed. Um, but more importantly, you know, not just this book, but a lot of these types of books, they're critical history lessons. I saw a news report, um, I think last year in the States, that a shockingly low percentage of Americans under 40 know anything about the Holocaust and presumably probably about other major tragical historical moments. So I think it's our job to never forget to read about these things and to, you know, not make other people's experiences in vain. Sorry, person yep. at the door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one more time. Give us the name of the book and the name of the author. The Light of Days and the author is Judy Battalion. Highly recommend it. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. I'm Jacques Vio. I am the senior copywriter on the creative team. What is the book that you believe everyone should be reading this year? I really enjoyed Missed Connections, a memoir in letters never sent by Brian Francis. And what grabbed you about this book? Um, it's about Brian's experience uh, coming out 30 years ago when he was 21 uh, he wrote a personal ad and received 25 responses. And there were 13 that he sort of wrote an X on and decided, no, not interested. Um, and he hung on to these letters and then 30 years later came across them. And, you know, it, he had such a different experience of, you know, being now 51. Um, how would he how would he write back to these men? Um, and it really made him think of what, um, all the changes that he's gone through in that time. And I'm, I'm the same age as him. So when I read the description of the book, I was like, I, I can't not read this. Like when, when I was 21, uh, I was also coming out in 1992 and I didn't write a personal ad, but I was writing to an older cousin of mine in San Diego who was gay and it was a way to sort of get everything off my chest and all the anxiety about how do I talk to friends, how do I talk to family, the boys I had crushes on, that sort of thing. And when I turned 50 last year, my cousin for my birthday sent me all that correspondence. And it was, oh, wow. <laughs> it was a trip. It was really, you know, some of my letters were kind of cringy. Some of them were kind of sweet. Some of them are handwritten. Some were on, um, you know, dot matrix paper that you had to tear off the perforations on and listening to Brian's book. I listened to the audiobook, and it, it took me right back there. It was that, that same feeling of, re-examination of who you were and and where you are now and i found it really powerful and also this this incredible dividing line between pre-digital and post-digital in terms of you know, how people made connections how they discovered each other like it's you know there really is this uh this completely different set of experiences on either side of that boundary Absolutely. I mean, this this was pre-internet or very at the very beginning of, of email. And now everything is like an, an app or a swipe away. So there's there's you know really different ways to make connections. Um he the book is based on a stage show. I didn't realize it at the time, but uh, a couple of years ago he did a stage show at Buddies in Bad Times Theater uh called Box 
4901, and this is the uh, sort of book equivalent of it. If you've ever seen RuPaul's Drag Race, on the season finale, RuPaul always asks the queens, holds up a picture of them as their younger child selves and asks them, you know, what would you say to your younger self? I've, I, I'm always waterworks during that, and I very much got that feeling from this book. He writes with a lot of empathy, you know, he writes, uh, he reads the letters, they're kind of, you know, reworkings of the letters, they're not word for word what he received. Uh, legally, I don't think you probably could print the person's letters <laughs> as you receive them. Um, but his his replies are, are very thoughtful and very genuine. And uh, it was sort of impossible not to like, look back at myself while I was listening to him. Who would you give this book to? Gosh. Um, I think a, a range from like people my age who kind of want to look back at, at themselves and, you know, reconsider um, who you were and where you are. And maybe to younger people too, just coming out who have similar anxieties about possibly being alone or not finding the one. And then, you know, if, if I could tell my younger self to just relax a little more and, and have a little more fun and, you know, I think it would have made my journey to where I eventually got a little easier and a little calmer. Amazing. Okay, so one more time, the name of the book and the author. Missed Connections, a memoir in letters never sent by Brian Francis. Thanks so much, Chuck. Thank you very much. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. My name is Vicky Kolarov. I'm the Director of Digital Marketing at Racton Kobo. <laughs> and tell us what book you think people should be reading. So my recommendation for my staff pick this year is The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. What is it about this book that makes it one you want to recommend? Well, um, first of all, this actually was a Reese book club pick, which I actually didn't know when I recommended it, but it looks like it's really blown up this year. And I'll tell you why. It's absolutely a book that you wouldn't realize has so much emotion in it from the very beginning. When I first picked it up, I never expected it to be just so evocative in every way. So if you really wanted to read a book that has a lot of character flaws that you feel you need to unpack and you're really analyzing all of the decisions that these characters are making throughout the whole book that leads them to this ultimate finale, this is the book for you because there's just so much going on and it just keeps you wrapped in from the very beginning. So is this set in present time? Is this in the, in the past? Like give us a character and kind of describe them a little bit for us. Yeah, so it kicks off in the present day. Um, the two, two of the main characters, there's three main characters, they make a pretty devastating decision. And um, it's not a spoiler. It's, it's, this is the, it's the first thing that happens. Uh, the main character cheats on her husband with her lifelong best friend. And after that, it breaks out into three main parts, one for each character, and it takes you back in time to show you everything that they've done over the course of their lives that have led to this exact moment. So it's it's really raw, and there's a lot that's happened to everyone that has impacted 
um, this ultimate decision. Cause at first you're so shocked that <laughs> such a massive decision was made within the first couple pages of the book. And then it really shows you what, what happened. Is this kind of of a genre of book that you, that you like to read? Was this an exceptional thing for you this year? How would you place it in your reading life? You know, I, I would say this is not maybe it, it's contemporary fiction. I think um, I usually read a lot of crime thrillers, so it's not something I would pick up. It's I, I again, when I said it was a Reese book club pick, I I don't really follow the book clubs that much. But when I saw that it came up, I was I wasn't surprised because it's it really grasps you, and it it's one of those books that just sinks its nails into you, and you don't really realize that it's sunk in roots into your mind as much as it does. And you're still thinking about it a week, two weeks later. And it's just always in the back of my mind ever since I read it. It was definitely the best book I've read all year. And one more time, tell us the name of the book and the name of the author. The book is The Paper Palace by Miranda Cowley Heller. And highly recommend it. Five stars. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. Sure. So my name is Jean-Marc. You can call me GM. I've been working for Kobo for about nine years. And currently, I am in charge of business development for the company globally, uh, which means finding partnerships, developing partnerships across the world for Kobo. And I live in Paris, France. And what is the book that you think everyone should be reading this year? Uh, there, is, there is a book which is an absolute must, and it's, it's called Waiting for Bojangles. It's a, it's a French book translated in English. Um, it was published a couple of years ago, and it, it's, it's an absolute must-read. And, uh, and what is it about it that, uh, that you found so appealing? So I think about everybody in the world has read a book called The Little Prince. I'm sure that everybody knows Little Prince for, from Saint-Exupéry. And this book is, uh, is to adults what The Little Prince is to children. It's, it's a must read. It's a love story uh, which has not a thread of what a love story should be about, and yet it is a love story. And I really think that it's, uh, it's exceptional. It's exceptionally written, and the creativity of the author is absolutely amazing. Is it, uh, is it set in present day? Is it in the past? Kind of lo locate it for us a little bit. Sure. So th this is a story told by a boy, and uh, it's um, it's recent. It's not in the in the present day, but it's the, just a couple of years ago. And this little boy is talking about the love that uh, his parents have for each other, and this love is um, is very special. It's very complex, um, and it's really a three wheel love story between the boy and the mother, the mother and the father, the father, the mother. The, the, so it's 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 really this this triangle. Uh, taking place a couple of years ago in, in two countries, in France on the one end and in Spain. Is it a single narrative all the way through? Is it, are we going back and forth from past to present? Yeah, it's mostly, it's mostly in the past. It's this little boy telling this story. And um, what's interesting is that it's, uh, it's a story which is of a love that is uh, beautiful, tragic, funny, uh, which has all kinds of different dimensions. Fundamentally, it's... Uh, it's uh, this child explaining that um, 
his mother was somebody unique that created a very special environment all around her. He lived in a, in a, in, in a space which was different from all of the other boys in, in his uh, school. And, um, and she, had, uh, she, had, she interacted with the world in a way that was, that was absolutely unique. And her, his dad loved this woman despite all of the challenges that her mental state created around them. So there's this, this, this love in, in the book, uh, which, which goes beyond what we need to call out, which is, which is madness. She, she, this, this woman uh, goes crazy. She, she, she loses her mind. Going crazy is actually the wrong term. I'm using wrong term. It's, I shouldn't be using a word as, as plain as this one. She, she starts seeing the world differently, if you wish. And obviously, it's very disruptive. It's very disruptive for the little boy, and it's very disruptive for the husband. And how did they cope with that, with this woman who suddenly, as a mother, as a wife, becomes someone different um, and interacts with the world differently? How do they change their views of who she is and what the world is about? And, uh, and who would you recommend this book to? Any adult. Really? Any adult. You, it, it, it's a must read because, you know, there's, I, I, I just have two quotes. One actually is something that the author puts at the very beginning of the book. It's, it's not from him, it's from Charles Bukowski. And the, the quote is the following. Some people never go crazy. What truly horrible lives they must lead. So going crazy actually is, 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 is not about just losing your mind and going into a black hole. It's actually seeing the world differently. And, and this, is, this is what this book is all about, seeing the world differently, seeing love differently. Uh, the expression of love being different from from uh, what it usually is, um, and there's another part I wanted to. Um, anyway, so any anyone can read it. Um, some people will find it sad. Some people will find it funny, uh, but I don't think it can leave anybody indifferent. It's called Waiting for Bojangles, uh, and the author is a French author called Olivier Oliver uh, Bourdeau. And there's, there's one more thing I must add, um, Michael, to this, which is, which is fundamental, is that all of this takes place. So you, you, travel, you travel in this world which has some imaginary dimensions. You travel in a world which is real. And you travel in a world that has a song. And this song is waiting for Bojangles. And all along, this song will be playing. And this is the... the um, it, uh, this is the poetic dimension that you find in Little Prince, and it's lo lots of drawings. In this particular <clears> book, it's not drawing, it's really the music of, uh, of um, uh, Nina Simon that's, uh, that comes back and back again. Ah, sounds amazing. You, you're lucky you haven't read it, because now you have a chance to read it. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sad I've read it, I need, I'm going to read it again. <laughs> My name is Vanessa, and I'm the Training and Development Specialist at Kobo. What book do you want to make sure everyone knows about for this year? Uh, this year, the book that I really want everybody to know about is How to Be Remy Cameron by Julian Winters. What is it about this book that became special for you? There's a lot of things about this book that makes it special for me. Um, I don't think I'm the original target audience for this book. It's a young adult book. Uh, it's a young adult book uh, whose uh, main character is a gay 17-year-old black man in America. 
So very different from me, you know, a mid-30s French woman in Europe. Um, but it resonated with me. Um, there's a lot of tenderness in this book. Um, the growing that Remy, the main character, does is amazing. There's a lot of depth um, into what he thinks uh, or he navigates, you know, his life with his adopted parents, uh, his life at school, uh, all the labels that he has. It's a very, very positive book. And I think everybody can relate in some way. Uh, when you're 17, you think you have everything figured out. Uh, everybody thinks you have everything figured out. Most of the time, you don't. And yeah, and when you become a mid-30s person, just like I am, most of the time you don't have things figured out either. <laughs> uh, so that's how I related to, to this book. This, and, and there's a lot of emphasis on music as well, on pop music, which is, uh, which is always good. It's, it's a beautiful book. It's a, it's a beautiful jewel of a book. How did you find your way to this book? How, uh, how did it come up for you? Uh, very weird i think i was on twitter and there's a french uh, account on diversity in uh, young adult books etc etc uh mm -hmm. i tweeted about it saying hey the french translation is out uh, and the the cover the french cover was very beautiful it's like oh what is this book uh so i decided to go on my uh on my e-reader and download it in english uh and i i came to it and i read it in about three days maybe and so out of curiosity, why did you read it in English rather than in French? This is a very good question. I'm not used to, to read in French anymore. Uh, I, when I read something in French that's been translated, I can almost see how it's been translated, if that makes sense. Like there's a, there's a few like sentences where I'm like, mm -hmm. I think it sounds a little bit better in English, when English is obviously the first language. Uh, so that's why. So I wanted to, to get to, to, to the original um, essence of the book. Who should read this book? Who would you recommend it to? Everybody. But um, people who like pop culture, there's a lot of references for, to pop culture. There's, there's a scene that's absolutely hilarious uh, around uh, Halloween where his uh, parents are dressing up and his mum is dressed up as Christina Aguilera from the Jenny in a Bottle uh, music video. And he just doesn't get it. It's like, it's very retro, man. And it made me laugh and also it made me feel very old. So maybe for the for the nostalgic factor, maybe a few like mid thirties, you know, 40 year old uh, can, can like it. Um, I think it's great for any young person who is trying to find their way in the world um, because this character is so real and so relatable that can maybe make them feel a bit less alone um, if they need it. Probably good for parents as well if they're dealing, you know, with uh, trying to guide their, their kid, you know, who's in high school and, and doesn't know what's happening, what's going on. Um, and maybe anyone like me who still thinks of a teenager who knows nothing about life. So lots and lots of people can, uh, can benefit yeah. from this and in English <laughs> and in French. So exactly. we've got lots of bases covered. So the book is How to Be Remy Cameron, and the writer is Julian Winters. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Tell us your name. Tell us what you do for Kobo. 
Uh, my name is Nathan Maharaj. Um, among other things, I produce this show. So we know that your segment is definitely going to make it in to the final version of the podcast is what you're saying. Yes. Yes, it should. And, and if, and if there's any, and if there's any reason for it not to, I, I have, I have that control to, to make, make, make it like it never happened. <laughs> Excellent. What book should people be reading this year? I was really struck by uh, Tori Peters's Detransition Baby. Um, it was tough for me to for me to pick a book this year that really hit me, but this one um, this one just keeps resonating. Um, it's it's a it's a novel, very much in the like high literary knop trans tra tradition. It felt to me like a, like it could have come from the desk of Sonny Mehta, uh, but it didn't. It came from uh, from a newer imprint that they've got that that's um, specifically focused on um, stories from uh, from folks who didn't you know usually get book deals in in the past. Um, it's fantastic. It is so fully realized as a novel. It's kind of shocking that Tori Peters has before this point uh she's just been like indie publishing novellas kind of like a punk rock literary project of like touring genres um with like these one-off projects and then this like this novel is a tour de force what what happens in this book like what's the kind of give us a little bit of the arc of the story so this the main character if i i would say if we're, i mean others may focus on a different character but i think i think it really revolves around reese uh and reese is a trans woman who finds herself uh, kind of, kind of abandoned um, by her partner, uh, Amy, um, because Amy, also a trans woman, has elected to, as per the title, detransition. Amy's opted to live life as a man. Uh, that is an option that is open to Amy, so she goes and and lives as Ames, and uh, and it leaves Reese to really think about what she wanted for her future. Um, Reese wants to be a mother desperately. It's, what's, it's something she wants, you know, more than anything. Um, but she finds herself in this situation where, you know, she's, you know, as a trans woman, there, there are, there are complications with to on the path to motherhood itself, let alone a trans woman with no partner. So now you're a single mother. If you're going to be a mother at all, in the meantime, Ames has struck up this affair with his colleague um uh or actually it's his boss because <laughs> why why be a little complicated when you be a lot um katrina and and so the these three characters are kind of thrown together and and in a way that that uh you would think well that's chaos and that's just going to be that it, it's constant tension um uh, conflict forever. And this is just going to be, you know, uh, j just a, a, a cage match. Um, but they're actually, they, the, they kind of work on this project of like, okay, well, like, what if we made a family and, and, you know, we achieved parenthood together and, and I don't want to spoil the plot or anything. And unfortunately I read it long enough ago that I, I'm, I'm actually not well situated to spoil the plot. Um, because what resonated me with the, what was, was the characters, and the way they made choices and also some of the things that Tori Peters just commits to the page about trans life. Um, she is not holding back about um, sex. Like if, if you were curious about, you know, what transgender sex might be like, Tori's there. Tori is putting it on the page and you're, you're definitely getting the full scope of at least one flavor. Um, and it's and it's and it's marvelous that way for just how 
completely in command of her craft she is that it's not it's not it's not gratuitous or anything you just like in this story the story is about about relationships it's about sex it's about parenthood so there are scenes of sex and you're there and it's and and it's just that that's kind of what hit me was like the profound um uh command of of craft uh that peters has that that kind of just carried me through the whole thing and then it came out the other side and i was like oh right that's actually like a very that is that is a view from the margins but like when i was in it it just felt like this is the world and i'm with i'm with reese and reese has has all this stuff to sort out so i i can't wait for it like the the tragedy is i think tori peters could go on and do anything like uh, maybe she's writing uh, a play and wants to win a Tony. Um, like maybe uh, she'll start a podcast and make millions of dollars. Like we may never get another novel. I really hope we do. But but this if this is the only novel, it's a pretty good go. But I really really hope she decides uh, she wants to be like a a, a novelist because she is like she could she, you know she's I, I think she could be like she could hit that level of like Martin Amos or, you know, um, you know, Iris Murdoch or like that level of like, everyone knows this author, this is a great novelist and, and, and their books must be read. And we had her on the Cobone conversation podcast and, uh, uh, and, you know, talk about someone who was able to kind of hit that mark of emotion without melodrama, um, talking about family and roles to family without being didactic. It was like, it managed to do a lot in, you know, in what is a fairly compact novel. And I'm, uh, and I'm with you, you could either, you know, whether it's these characters, new characters, new setting, you know, same topics, uh, there are going to be other really interesting books that, uh, that come from her and really can't wait. So one more time, give us the name of the book and the name of the author. The book is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. Thanks for letting us keep you company. And we hope we helped you find something great to read over the holidays or in 2022. If you missed a title or an author, do not worry. We've put up a list of all of the books we mentioned here at Kobo.com slash conversation. We'll be back with more in-depth author interviews in January. So subscribe to Kobo in Conversation wherever you are listening to us now, and you will be sure not to miss us. Happy holidays, happy new year, and thanks so much for listening.